been in an argument with somebody, and you're sitting there, and you're logically making your case, like just very methodically, and you get about halfway through the discussion, and then it dawns on you, ah, dang it, they're right. Nobody? Come on, married people, y'all are lying, <laughs> right? I was talking to Ruth this week, and I said, babe, uh, can you think of a time where you and I were having a, uh, a heated discussion, and, and I realized halfway through it that you were right? And she just smiled at me, and she goes, every time. <laughs> <laughs> I want to welcome you guys here. Uh, if it's your first time here, my name's Jay. Uh, I'm the campus pastor here. I also want to welcome those of you joining us on Facebook. Uh, we're so glad you're here with us this morning, and also those of you in the overflow seating in the lobby. We will be in the new building within a month. So I can tell you that that's coming. Thanks for your patience with us. Uh, but we are in week eight of our study through 1 Corinthians. It's been a, it's been a good, good study. A lot of, honestly, a lot of hot issues in our society today. And today we're in chapter eight, which is Paul. He's writing to his friends at the church in Corinth, and he's addressing an argument that they were having. And I want to dive right in and kind of set the scene, uh, set a little understanding of what the argument, what the issue was they were facing. So we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, and I'm going to jump right to it. So Paul says, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols. So it was a common practice in that day, uh, especially in Corinth and in, in some of those other cities uh, around that area, it was a common practice to offer animal sacrifices to the local gods. Like, there were various gods of the day. We've learned a little bit about that through our study of of 1 Corinthians. And they would offer animal sacrifices as an act of worship to these these varying gods. And so then the question is, well, what happens to the animal carcass once it's been sacrificed to the god? It could be assumed that if you bought meat at the local market, most of the time that meat came from the carcass that was offered to one of these idols or false gods. And so the argument began around this meat. And so they come to Paul, and there's really two groups in this argument that's happening at the church in Corinth. And I want to kind of walk you through both groups. So there's this meat. We bought it. It's a nice, juicy steak. Come on, somebody, right? On a warm Maine summer day with the grill. Oh, sweet Jesus. Anyway, sorry. So... So they're sitting there, and uh, they're, they're, they're talking about this, and there's two groups of people. The first group of people says, hey, those idols are actual gods. And so if you eat meat that was offered in worship to that god, you're actually, at the very least, you're participating in idol worship. At the very worst, you could get possessed. Some of them thought you could get possessed by the spirit of the god that it was, that it was offered to. So that's, that's one group. So they're saying steer clear. And then the other group, there's another group, and they're all in the same church. And so this other group is saying, listen, those idols were not gods. Uh, they are just blocks of wood that were made by man. There's only one true God. It's not that big of a deal. Eat the steak, right? And so you have these two groups of people, and they're butting heads. And understand that the church in Corinth, there was a, there was a big mix of people that were in this church. Some of these people were Jews. They were raised. They knew Deuteronomy, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is the one true God. There are no other gods. Bes-. Like, so they, they knew that. 
They had this solid understanding. There is one God, the creator of everything. Other people had been raised in idol worship. They had this Greek mythology kind of pushed on them for most of their lives. And so they've got this, they were Christian. They just might have had a, a skewed misunderstanding of the, the fact that there was one true God. And so you've got these two groups of people, and they both, both of them, so I'm going to do this, all right? So we're going to say this group right here, we're going to do this for the next 30 minutes, so just so everybody knows. You ready? This group right here says there are real gods, like don't eat the meat. And this group right here is saying they're not real gods, there's only one God, eat the meat. So you've got these two groups of people, and the, the crazy thing is they both think they're right. And they're both really, honestly, they're asking a simple question to Paul. The simple question is, can I do that? Like, can I eat that meat? I think that's a question that every Christian has asked. So understand, there are, they're sitting in what we call, it's, it's the, the gray area. Like, there are black and whites in Scripture. There are, you should do this. You should, there are things that Scripture clearly says, do not do. And there are things that Scripture clearly says, you should do. But there are also things that it's not so clear about. And just, I'm going to throw a... So, so you've got these, these two groups of people, and, and they're, they're arguing, they're disagreeing over this issue, and the argument just continues, and they finally go to Paul. And they're like, can, can we do this? Like, would you answer it? In the middle of this argument... As I was preparing for the sermon, it made me think of Boudreaux. So I'm going to tell you guys about Boudreaux real quick. Uh, if you do not know, I was raised in Louisiana, which actually I was talking to Ruth yesterday, and, and I realized that this summer we will have lived in Maine longer than I lived in Tennessee. I went to college in Tennessee. So, and then in a couple years, I will have lived in Maine longer than I lived in Louisiana, so I don't know if that makes me a Mainer at that point. I don't, I don't know how that works whenever I'm no longer from away. Some of you guys are saying no. All right. Anyways, so in Louisiana, we have what we call Cajuns. Uh, basically, a Cajun is uh, just people that we like to make fun of. And so we've got two, two names for Cajuns, Boudreaux and Thibodeau. I just want to say if you are related or you are a Boudreaux or a Thibodeau, this joke is not about you, unless it is, Okay. <laughs> All right, so Boudreaux and Thibodeau, they, get, uh, they both were excited because they both got new mules. And so they're going to the, the local market to get their, their mules. They go together because they're friends, and they're, they're sitting there admiring their mules. And then all of a sudden, Thibodeau looks at Boudreaux and says, Boudreaux, says, how are we going to tell our mules apart? And Boudreaux says, that's a good question you asked, Thibodeau. So he says, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. He says, before we pick the mules up, let's pay a little bit of extra money. We'll have them brand our mules, right? And here's what we're going to do so that there's no confusion. You come up with your own secret brand, and I'll come up with my own secret brand, and we'll have them brand the mules. So they go off to the side and come up with their own secret brands. They give them to the guy that does, I don't know what you call him, a brander, right? And uh, they come back the next day to to admire their mules, and they walk, and Thibodeau's like, he ain't never going to guess what my brand is. And sure enough, they walk in, and both mules have TBM right on the thigh. Thibodeau looks at Boudreaux and says, TBM, why? What? I did TBM. And Boudreaux says, why did you do TBM? And Thibodeau says, well, that stands for Thibodeau's Best Mule. Why did you do TBM? And Boudreaux says, well, that stands for That's Boudreaux's Mule. (laughs) 
And they're sitting there and they're like, well, what are we going to do now? And they start arguing. And finally, the, the Brandon guy walks up to both of them and says, hey, guys, hey, hey, how about you take the black one and you take the white one? <laughs> That's good, right? That's good. <laughs> Anyways, so the church is asking this question. They're saying, hey, Paul, can we do this? And so in, when, you're, when you find yourself in Christianity following Christ and you find yourself in the great, you find yourself in that, it's not a yes or no, we're not 100% sure what scripture says on this, there's not like a thou shalt not for this situation. In theology, we call that a morally neutral situation, which the theological term for morally neutral circumstances is, you ready for it? A diaphora. Okay, so that's, that's my... That makes me sound smart. Now we're going to move on from that. But just so you guys know, in theology, if you ever study this, it's called a morally neutral circumstance, a diaphora. There you go. All right. But while in, 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 in the States, wow, I sounded really Southern right then. In the States, in 2020, we don't really deal with meat sacrifice to idols. Like that doesn't, that doesn't really come up in the States. And it's not like Scripture says, thou shalt not eat meat that has been... No, it's... And so it's... You, you, you sit this, but I would say that in the States, we do face these morally neutral, these can I do that type of situations. So as I was preparing for the message, I, I quickly just jotted down a couple of them. I'm sure that we could come up with a couple hundred if we had time, but I'm just going to throw a couple of them at you just to let you see that this is still, this applies to us here today. Can I do that? You ready? Here's the first one. Can I drink alcohol? Now, please don't answer, okay? I did this Thursday night and didn't say that, and people are like heckling. Yes, I think it's a no. What? You're missing the point. (laughs) Can I drink? All right, here's another one. Can I watch Harry Potter movies? that yes or no i got another one for you how about can i listen to non-christian music can my kids go trick-or-treating here's one that i got a lot when i was in student ministries can i get a tattoo is that okay and let me just say this real quick for students you ready if you're still living at home your mom and dad are the gospel on this okay let them set that standard. And parents, I'm going to tell you that too. When it's a morally neutral, you can guide your kids through that. You shouldn't be like, well, you guys just feel it. No, you lead your children. That's not what I'm preaching on though. All right. The question is, what do we do? What do we do as a church whenever we come across these? Like, what do I do as a Christian when I find myself in the gray? Or what do we do, this is a good one, you ready? What do we do when we're in the gray and we disagree on the answer? And we find ourselves, one of us is over here, and I'm saying I've got verses to back it up, and one of us is over here, and they're saying I've got verses to back it up, and we find ourselves at odds. What do we do? And so what I want to do is chapter 8 is Paul's response to an argument over a morally neutral, can I do that situation? You guys with me? And I want to go through this. It's 13 verses. It's really short. And I think that if we look at Paul's response to this issue, that it could kind of help us to navigate the gray. It'll help us to know how to do it as a church. It'll help us to see how, to, how we should handle it as a Christian. 
So I want to show you guys, and this is what you see in your notes. If you look at chapter 13, you can really break it up into three segments. The first segment is verses 1 through 3. We've already read verse 1, but in verses 1 through 3, you see that Paul is addressing the actual argument. Like he's coming at them and saying, he's not even addressing the issue. It's almost, you'll see, we're going to read it in just a second. It's almost like he interrupts himself to address the fact that they're arguing over the issue. Okay, so the first thing that he does is addresses the argument. The second thing that he does, it's the biggest section of the verse, I mean of the chapter, is he addresses misconceptions on both parties. So it's like he looks at one group and says, you're, you're not seeing clearly on this. And then he looks at the other group and says the exact same thing. And then the third part of this chapter is that he addresses what he sees is the real issue, which, spoiler alert, it's not about meeting, eating meat, okay? That's not the real issue here. And so each of these gives us a response that will help us personally navigate the gray and also help us as a church to navigate the gray. And so we're going to dive right into verse 1. I love this. Paul says, okay, regarding your question about food that's been offered to idols, and then here's the interruption right here. He says, yes, we know that, and I love that it's in quotes. I can almost hear the sarcasm in Paul's writing, right? We know that you all know what you're talking about, right? Like you think you're right, and you think you're right. He says, you both think you have the answer to this issue. But while knowledge will make you feel important, love will strengthen the church. So basically he says, all right, about the argument you're having. Wait, let me just hit this issue. You both think you know what's right, but you're asking me the wrong, the wrong question. He says, you're both asking me who's right. Like, which one of us is right? We both got verses, we both got... But you're asking the wrong question. He says, the question you should be bringing to me is what would love do? Like you're finding yourself in the gray, you're butting heads. He says, hey, church, why don't you be a light? Why don't you let the world see how you handle disagreements? Hey, church, rock church, let's be a light, right? Let's be a light in what we say. Or better yet, this one's even harder. Let's be a light in how we say it. Like Paul says, you both think that you're right. But being right isn't going to solve the issue. Like you both think you know what is right, but knowledge is not the answer to this problem you're facing. Love is the answer to the problem you're facing. You know, they say that, that since the invention of like the iPhone and, and smartphones and Wi-Fi and internet, they say that the amount of knowledge that is available to us is doubling every day. That's insane. (laughs) The amount of content that is out there for you to consume is doubling daily. The amount of knowledge that's there is increasing rapidly, but the crazy thing is, is nothing's getting better. Like we're figuring out how to solve sicknesses, thank God for that. We might be figuring out other, but the, the sickness of the human heart Like Paul says, knowledge will not fix this issue. Love is what will fix this issue. Let's be a light. You ready for another one? Be a light in what we post. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching. Might not be fun. Be a light in what we post. Chris Hodges, he's a pastor that, I have several pastors that I listen to uh, weekly, and um, Chris Hodges is one of them. And he says, we cannot antagonize people and influence them at the same time. So you have to make a choice. 
yeah, but Jay, you don't understand. I'm right. You might be right, but are they actually listening? (laughs) Right? Like, it's possible to be right and wrong at the exact same time. And so Paul says, listen, church, love. And what's the correct response? It's love, and it's a love that says, here's your first blank. It's a love, the correct response to this situation is a love that says, I care more about you than the actual issue that we are facing. Like, I care more about you than being right. I care more about you than what I know. I, listen, I was in public education for 13 years at the middle school, high school, and then at the college level. And I saw this shift start to happen early on in my career. And I've seen it just slowly slide more and more. And it was this shift that was initially, we can disagree, but I still love you as a human. Like, I still honor you as a human. And it's this shift that has gone to, if you disagree with my opinion, I hate you. And it's gotten to this point where in humanity, you see us valuing our opinion over humanity. And it shouldn't be that way, church. Let's be a light. Let's be, come on, somebody. Let's be a light. James chapter 3, you ready? James chapter 3 says this, with our tongues, ready? with our posts, we praise Jesus. And with our posts, we curse people. Let me just paint a picture for you. It's Sunday afternoon. I post a verse and I say, man, I love Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. And then it's Monday afternoon and I post, my boss is the biggest idiot in the world. Why do I have to work at this job? <laughs> Ouch. He says, with, we do it even though these people are created in the image of God. Go to the next slide. Praise and cursing come out of the same Instagram feed. What? He says, guys, church, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Imagine if our response to a disagreement was I care more about you than the issue. Come on, somebody. And then he goes on to the next thing. The next, next five verses, he comes up, and what he does is he addresses the misunderstandings or misconceptions on both, both parties. And so what I want to do real quick is just walk you through both parties so you can understand what their misconception was. So remember, over here, actually go to that next slide. So over here, we've got idols. This group thought idols were gods, okay? And so in their, in their understanding, I'm a Christian. I've accepted Christ as my Savior, but there's, there's still a bunch of other gods. So I'm serving the Creator, but there's still other, other deities out there. You guys with me? And so they have... They're Christians, but they, their understanding is not complete. And so Paul comes to this group and he says, hey, you need to understand that these guys, what they're telling you, that there's just one God, they're right. Like, there is one God. There's one creator. And he goes into this poetic statement of faith that the musician in me loves. And I'm going to show it to you guys. It's verse 6. He says, but for us. So for the believers, both groups, he says, for us, there is only one God. Listen to this. This is awesome. There is one God that created everything, and that's who we live for. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and there's one Lord, there's one Savior, there's one Jesus. You might have heard of a couple different variations of who Christ was, but there is one Jesus, and he says, that's who we live through. So he says, you need to understand that your, your idea of spiritual deities is, is wrong. And he says, these guys are actually right. Now, let me just pause right here, jump off of Corinthians and pass to you for just a second. Paul is not saying 
Because he, he actually, the verse before this, he says those other idols are just blocks of wood. It's not a big deal. He says there weren't an actual God. There's only one God. But what Paul is not saying is that there are, are no other spiritual forces at play. He is not saying that at all. And so I'm just going to pass to you for a second. Listen to this. There's one God that you live for, and there's one way to get to him. It's through Jesus Christ. That's black and white. That's clear. And I just want to say that, if see, people have no problem believing that there's a spirit world. They have no problem. The psychic industry is a multi-billion dollar industry that has not taken a dip in over a decade. It keeps going up. People have no problem admitting there's spiritual things at play. People do have a problem saying there's only one way to tap into this. And so listen to me. If you're tapping into a spirit realm, and it's not through the blood of Jesus you're tapping in through the only other option. Because scripture is very clear. There are only two ways to tap into the spirit realm. One is through Jesus and then everything else. And so if you are tapping into something spiritual through any other avenue than through Jesus Christ, you're not tapping into your creator. You're tapping into something else. And you need to understand that. That is anything spiritual other than Jesus. You guys understand what I'm saying? Anything. Please hear that. There's truth in that. So he looks at this group, back to Corinthians, and he looks at this group and he says, you need to understand, you're misunderstanding the situation. There's only one God. They're right. And then he looks at this group. Go to the, the argument slide. He looks at this group. This group saying it's not a big deal. Eat the steak, right? Like, it's not that big of a deal. It's a juicy steak. Like, throw some A1 on there. A little Tony Sacheries. Come on, anybody from the South? Nobody. Y'all need to come to my house on the weekend. Come on. Don't, my wife would kill me if y'all all came to my house. <laughs> all right, anyways. But he's saying, like this group is saying, just eat it. It's not that big of a deal. There's no real gods. And he looks at this group and he says, listen, your theology is correct, but you're still wrong. And listen to what he says, verse 8 of chapter 8. He looks, so this is directed to this group whose theology, they were, they were doctrinally correct. He looks at them and says, okay, you're right. It's true that those aren't real gods and it's not a big deal. This is a morally neutral issue. He says, that's, that's right, you're correct. He says, but you can't win. You guys have said you can't win God's approval by what you eat. You guys have also said it's not that big of a deal. So look at what he says. You don't lose anything if you don't eat it. Basically, he's looking at them and saying this. You out of your own mouth have said it's not a big deal. So leave them alone. Because it's not a big deal. You see that? He's saying, you guys have said that there's nothing wrong with eating the meat. It's not a big issue. It's a morally neutral issue. So stop antagonizing them. Because it's not a big deal. And then I love that he tags this on the end. And he says, oh, and by the way, you're not gaining anything because you eat the meat. It's not like you have attained some level of spiritual enlightenment that makes you more acceptable to God. He says, just leave them alone. Let them sort out this morally neutral issue with the word of God. He says, and you need to understand that it's not like you're on a whole nother level than them. You need to understand you are both the church and you need to come together on the love of God. So what is Paul doing? He's looking at both groups. And do you see what he said? He's, he's giving you a response, guys. He's giving us as a church a response to these gray areas. And it's empathy. Like it's an empathy that is humble and willing to say, why do you think that? 
Why, why do you feel like it's that way? It's an empathy that says, I will seek to understand. Like, where are you coming from? Now, let me just say this. As you seek to understand, I think sometimes we think it's a great issue. You ready? This might, this might not be fun to hear. I think sometimes we say it's a great issue because we're trying, maybe I'm trying to justify my own sin. And I know it's actually not a great issue. Let me give you a simple example. Uh, when I was in students, I was, I was the student pastor here at the church, and somebody, there was a family that made a post on Facebook. This was at least mm, maybe eight, eight years ago. And the post said, can someone please tell me why it is wrong to have sex before you're married? And so, I don't know if you know this or not, that's not great, okay? Scripture is extremely clear on what is acceptable and what God will bless within the bounds of marriage. It's extremely clear. It's a theme throughout Scripture. And so I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I, can, I can answer this question. And so we, we come together, and their response was, and don't tell me what the Bible says. How many of y'all know that discussion was over right then and there? Like, the, fa- the Bible has, has got to be the foundation of the gray. And so as we're navigating these morally neutral issues, can I do that? If we ever find that Scripture is clear and our understanding was flawed, then we need to change us to match that. You understand what I'm saying? In Proverbs, this, this reminded me, as I was thinking about that family and that discussion, it reminded, reminded me of Proverbs 18. I'm going to piece together a verse at the beginning and one in the middle. It says, Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to post their own opinions. By the way, I have never heard someone on Facebook that's posting an opinion say, wow, you know what? You are right. You have completely changed my mind. I'm just saying, I've never heard that happen. Anyways, they only want to post their own opinions. Intelligent people seek to understand. Maybe the answer to, the, maybe the answer to this gray issue isn't the answer at all. Like, maybe it's just to ask some more questions. Like, let's jump on the alcohol thing. Maybe this person is saying what they're saying about alcohol because they have a history of alcoholism in their family. And so they're saying, no. And I'm over here saying something different. And rather than just asking and saying, wow, I totally see where you're coming from. I'm saying, I'm like dogmatic. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to seek to understand on the foundation of the word of God. Chuck Ives, who actually attends church here, he's a friend and a mentor of mine. And uh, he actually has a, I'm going to quote him right now. He says, there is a difference between something being true, like I think it's right, and something being truth. This is the word of God. He says, truth is what we're going to use to determine what is true. Like truth is the measuring rod of everything that is true. And so if my understanding, as I'm asking and seeking to understand, let the word of God be the foundation of all of that. You guys with me? All right, so how do we navigate the gray? We navigate it with love. I care more about you than the issue. We navigate it with empathy. Like, I want to understand where you're coming from on the issue. And then the last one is where Paul says, but this is the real issue. And I'm going to read it to you. It's out of verse 9. And this is what he spends the rest of the chapter addressing. He says, be careful with the freedom that you have. Be, I love that. Be careful. 
You know, Galatians 5.1 says, Christ has truly set us free. And listen, there is freedom in this life. And I'm not talking about, like, putting up a front to make it look like everything's all right. I'm talking about freedom that has birthed in my heart and liberated my soul. And I can truly walk in the freedom, true freedom that comes from Christ. But the church at Corinth was not being careful with that freedom. In fact, I would say they were abusing it. They were abusing their freedom. And so the third way that as a church, and hear my, hear my heart here, that we need to respond to it, can I do that? Is I need to seek to understand the freedom. What does it mean to be free in Christ? I need to understand the freedom I have in Christ so that I don't abuse it. See, there is a lie going around today. And that lie says, freedom is living your life without boundaries. And that is a lie. I heard a pastor say one time that a train that is off of its tracks might be free, but it's not going anywhere. Freedom, true freedom, like we read of in Scripture, is not life without boundaries. True freedom is when you know those boundaries. And you can live freely within them, without condemnation, without guilt, without fear of, am I going to hell? You can live freely. And I would say that God has set boundaries for you and I to live freely in. And I want to quickly, this is not in your notes, but I want to quickly give you, as I was kind of meditating on this and the abuse of the freedom that we saw in Corinth, um, I thought of three boundaries that God has set around us. The first one, I've already hit this. The first one is his word. His word, I love Psalms, Psalms 119. I'm going to show you this verse. All of Psalms 119 talks about how in love the psalmist is with the word of God. But he says, I will walk in freedom. So I do whatever I want. I don't know why I just did that in front of (laughs) y'all. All right. That's not what it says. It says, I walk in freedom because I devoted myself to your word. You want to live a life of freedom? Build your life on the truth of Scripture. That's free. That's free. The second one, second boundary. So the word of God. The second boundary is the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked a little bit about this in chapter 2. Paul really dives into it in chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, on into 14. But basically, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God living in you and it guides you, there will be personal things in your life that the Holy Spirit, in fact, Scripture affirms this. It's that little little prick in your spirit that just says, hey, don't do that. Like, it's Friday night. Hey, don't go out with them. Don't do it. Or, hey, don't listen to that anymore. It's just that little, little nudge right here. And you can't find a verse that says, thou shalt not listen to with thine Eric Clapton, right? There's, there's no verse for that. But there is a spirit of God inside of you that will lead you. Simple example for me is I love music. I love it. I'm a musician. I've been playing guitar for over 20 years. I think in music. Like usually when I'm meditating, I've got worship music or just some sort of music going through my head. Um, and there are times in my life that the Holy Spirit inside of me says, hey, you need to just listen to worship music. Because music is such a big impact in your life, it's influencing you in the wrong way. And you need to cut everything else out except for worship music. 
That's me. I'm not going to get up here and say, hey, if you listen to country music, you're going to hell. I'm just going to say it sounds like you're in hell, right? (laughs) Romans, Romans chapter 14. It says, if you have doubts about whether or not you should do something, you're sinning if you do it. Do you hear it? If you have doubts about whether or not you should do something, you're sinning if you do it. Listen, in my experience, anytime I have that prick in my heart, I listen. I listen, even if I don't understand why. I listen. Now, let me say it because this needs to be said. The Holy Spirit in you will never contradict the word of God in front of you. Okay? That needs to be said. All right, the third boundary is the love of God. And this is the abuse that we saw in the church at Corinth. They were abusing the love of God. What does that look like? Well, let's look at it. This is how Paul wraps up chapter 8. Christ, I love how he says this. He says, Christ gave up his life for that person. Won't you at least be willing to give up dinner? (laughs) I love food. And so that's like, oh man, I don't know if I could do that. No, I'm kidding. All right. But he says, won't you at least be willing to go without dinner? He says, because as you say, it doesn't really make a difference anyways. He goes on to say, but it does. Listen to this. It does make a difference if you hurt your friend. Because this group that says it's okay was causing this group to question the Holy Spirit's prick in them. You understand that? And so he's looking at this group and saying, listen, it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal if you cause them to question the leading of the Holy Spirit on their lives. That's a big deal. He says, if you hurt them in that way, you're not actually hurting them, you're hurting Christ. So what is he saying? He says, the love of God... The freedom of Christ is not without boundaries. It is true freedom, but it's not without boundaries. It's got the Word, it's got the Holy Spirit, and it's got God's love. And what does God's love look like? The freedom of Christ comes with the responsibility of the love of Christ. It's an attitude that says, you know what? I will place restrictions on me for your betterment. Now understand me, I am not being a people pleaser. I'm being a God pleaser. But I will set restrictions on me if it causes offense in in the spirit of God inside of you. I'll do it. I won't watch that movie. I won't talk about that TV show. I'll do it. So those are your boundaries. There is freedom in Christ. But let's not abuse it. Let's walk in love. Let's walk in empathy. And as we're wrapping up, um, I think it would be a miss. I'm going to change gears. We're going to leave 1 Corinthians for one minute. Because I've seen Christians abuse God's freedom. But as I was meditating on this and I was getting ready to talk to you guys, I feel like you also need to hear that you should not refuse God's freedom. Because there is freedom. John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave. Listen, we have all come out of slavery. He says, but if I have set you free, if the Son sets you free, you are, there's that word again, you have found what is true freedom. But I was thinking about this, and I was wondering, how many Christians confess Christ as their Lord? They're going to heaven, but they still live as a slave. Still live enslaved to the things of this life. Hear my heart. The blood of Jesus bought your salvation, but the blood of Jesus also bought your freedom. Jay, what does that mean? He bought your freedom in your body. Like, 
if the blood of Jesus is strong enough to defeat sin and death, it is strong enough to defeat any sickness this world can throw, this fallen world can throw. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying don't go to the doctor. In fact, my family has a doctor that we love. I'm not saying don't use modern medicine. Use it with wisdom. But also what I'm saying is this, is when modern medicine works, I will give praise to my father. And I'm also going to tell you this, when modern medicine cannot give me a why or a how, I will not be shaken that the blood of Jesus that can conquer death can defeat any sickness. And I will bring that to the feet of my Savior. And I know (laughs) this has hit me close to home with my boy because we walked through 10 years of seizures that no doctor knew why. And I can tell you that either this side or heaven or the next, we will know why. And there is freedom from that. And the blood of Jesus, whoo, I didn't see that coming. The blood of Jesus has also bought you freedom in your mind. Like there are, there, some of the self-talk that Christians put themselves through is not of God. When God says, you are my child, you are worth the life of my son. And our self-talk is completely contradictory to that. And I would say that the blood of Jesus can set me free from depression, from anxiety, from stress. And I'm treading here lightly because I feel like there's this skewed understanding in the church of what mental illness is. And just like I said, when your body is sick, use wisdom and go to the doctor. When your mind is sick, use wisdom and go to the doctor. But hear me, there is freedom in the blood of Jesus. I remember when my wife, after we had our third girl, and she was going through postpartum so bad that she would not go to sleep at night. And so we would put the kids to bed, and then her and I would go in the front yard and just walk for the whole night. And thinking that you have to stay there until the day that you go to heaven is a lie. And I would actually tell you that you don't even need to find your way out of a depressed state. Your Savior is so loving, he will come find you in there and walk you out. He also purchased your freedom from your past. Not only did he forgive your past, guys, he forgot it. And how many times do we think our resumes have disqualified us from God's future? And that is not true. And he bought your freedom in your heart. And I wonder how many times do we walk around with a broken heart when Psalms clearly says he is close to the brokenhearted and he restores what this world has broken. And I don't have to wait till heaven to walk around with wholeness in my very being because the blood of Jesus has bought freedom that I don't have to refuse. So how do we navigate the gray? We walk in love, we walk in empathy, and we walk in the freedom of Christ not abusing it or refusing it. Let's pray, guys. Lord, I pray for each person here. God, I don't know where they are. I don't know what great issues they might be trying to navigate right now. But Lord, I know that you're with each of us. God, I pray that as a church, we would navigate these issues on the truth of your word, that we would walk in freedom, in love, and in empathy. You know, maybe you're here and... You have not walked or accepted the freedom of Christ. If you have never made that heart decision, it is a simple heart decision. But I want to invite you to make it. And it's just a simple prayer that says, Jesus, please forgive my past. 
I surrender my future to you. I accept the sacrifice that you paid. In Jesus' name, amen.